The Dark Knight is a 2008 superhero genre film directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Morgan Freeman, and Aaron Eckhart. The screenplay was co-written by Christopher Nolan and his brother, Jonathan Nolan. David S. Goyer, co-writer of Batman Begins, wrote the first draft of this film and cited the DC Comics series Batman The Long Halloween as the major influence on his storyline. The Long Halloween comic is drawn in a very stark style and that may have had influence on the black tie atmosphere of this film. The story also took influence from Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill's 1971 story, The Joker's Five-Way Revenge, from the comic Batman 251. Regarding The Dark Knight, 
Firstly, I'd like to speak about the energy amongst people when this movie was released. I was living in LA in 2008, and I remember running errands around town, and young people were talking about it. When you talk to people casually about this film, the first thing everyone mentions is the performance by Heath Ledger as the Joker. It is without a doubt a stellar performance, but when you look at the movie more closely, it succeeds because it has a solid story, clean portrayals of the most important characters, and a lot of layers when it comes to symbolism. Ledger's performance is the crown jewel of the film, but the film is solid in many other ways, and that's something that cannot be overlooked. It wouldn't be the film that it is without good writing, good planning, and execution. And yes, Ledger died five months before the film's release. Also, just speaking in plain terms, people love a good Batman film, so no matter where you were at the time, I'm sure you could feel the anticipation. Additionally, with Batman Begins, we had had an entire feature-length film to set up the emotional payoffs we get here. I was lucky enough to see this film at Arclight Cinemas in Hollywood, and they had Batman and Joker's costumes on display, as well as the Batpod. So we'll see those photos here. After filming Batman Begins in the City, Nolan is quoted as saying he had a truly remarkable experience in Chicago. So he and his crew returned there to film The Dark Knight. As I said in my analysis of Batman Begins, I am tremendously proud that these two films were shot in Chicago. And I'll always be happy to explain that these films were made in my home state of Illinois. When I was a college student at UIC in the late 1990s, I used to walk around the city and imagine Chicago as Gotham. So I've always known that Chicago has had the potential to shine as brightly as it does in this film. It just took Christopher Nolan's sophistication and expertise in cinematic storytelling to bring it out. This film is very visually beautiful. It is even more beautiful than Batman Begins. And they shot a lot in Chicago. The real mayor of Chicago at the time, Richard Daly, provided Nolan's crew with ample support for the making of this film. They were able to utilize locations all over the downtown area and filmed on location for the movie's best action sequences. We'll cover those locations in this video. A lot of the shots in Chicago were unaltered by computer graphics. Also, contrary to most Batman films, there are a lot of scenes set during the daytime. Hans Zimmer, who had handled the score in the previous film, really shines in this film. The scenes involving hand-to-hand -hand combat are much better done in this movie, which was my complaint with Batman Begins. After seeing each of these movies, I remember thinking to myself that, although I truly enjoyed the stories, I had missed a lot of the details. That served as part of the motivation for making these videos. Some minor issues to note. Maggie Gyllenhaal took over the part of Rachel Dawes, who was portrayed by Katie Holmes in Batman Begins. Wayne Enterprises headquarters, which was represented by the Chicago Board of Trade building in Batman Begins, is now represented by the Richard J. Daly Center, a.k.a. the building with the Picasso. To my knowledge, there is no logical reason given for this. At the end of Batman Begins, no major destruction is shown to Wayne Tower itself. Lastly, this is the first ever Batman film without the word Batman in the title. The very first image of the film is footage of an explosion filled with swirls of flames rendered in a blue hue. 
As with Batman Begins, we get a computer graphics rendition of the bat symbol, this time emerging from the swirls of blue flame. Immediately, the Hans Zimmer score is put into full effect, opening with pounding jolts and sustaining the tension with repetitive staccato strings. Perhaps this is meant to simulate a heartbeat. We begin with one of the best action film openings of all time, The Bank Heist. I remember watching this for the first time in the cinema, and it was so intense I couldn't even breathe. The opening shot is a tracking shot over the old Chicago post office building, headed northward over Van Buren with Willis Tower in the background on the right. We get closer to a green glass building. A single window is blown out, and we see two goons shoot a grappling hook gun across the street. Then we get our first shot of the Joker from behind, standing holding his mask and a bag on the southwest corner of Van Buren at Franklin facing east. In the film, the real street sign for Franklin Street is plainly seen in the shot. We dolly in on the mask. A beat-up SUV pulls up and the Joker gets in. The men start discussing their share of the heist money and mention the Joker by name. The scene cuts back and forth between the two men from the opening scene ziplining to the bank and the Joker and the goons on the ground. The goons on the ground enter the bank portrayed by the Chicago Post Office building at 433 West Van Buren. On the roof, one of the goons shoots another. The bank's customers are terrorized and the criminals start drilling into the vault. The bank manager pulls out a shotgun and begins to fight back. He screams out a warning that the goons are stealing from someone that will kill them, presumably meaning the Mafia. This is important because the first act of the movie is essentially a depiction of the war between the police and the mob in Gotham. The last two goons remain masked and are standing in the lobby. One of the goons is about to shoot the other when a school bus backs into the building and knocks him out. One thing that is interesting in this scene is that the Gotham license plate looks like Illinois license plates. The Joker kills the bus driver and puts a bomb in the bank manager's mouth. It is at this moment we get the Joker face reveal along with the line, Whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. In the next shot, the Joker's bus pulls away on Van Buren and blends in with an existing pack of real school buses, just as the police are racing to the scene. This is an excellent take, utilizing the entire frame, no special effects, and involving many vehicles acting in unison. When I was in Chicago filming this video, I noticed two things about this sequence. One. In real life, this street is a one-way street going opposite the direction of the Joker's bus. In the film, you can even see the road markings painted on the street. If this were a real two-way thoroughfare, there would be a solid yellow line running down the middle of the road. There is not. 2. As the bus bursts out of the bank, no structural alteration of the post office building was needed. The rubble from which the bus emerges is actually separate from the building itself, but the way the camera focuses on the bus and pans, no one ever second guesses it. The bank heist sets the story in motion by doing two things. It gives the mob a reason to dislike the Joker, and it demonstrates that the Joker is a mastermind and now has the money to fund all the complex activities that will ensue. Setting the scene in Gotham. Lieutenant Gordon shines the bat signal into the night sky and explains to Detective Anna Ramirez, a minor character with an ailing mother that will come into play later, that even if Batman doesn't respond, he likes that the bat signal signifies his presence. We then go to a scene in which Scarecrow and one of his clients, the Chechen, are having a meetup in a parking garage. The Chechen sees the bat symbol in the sky and mentions that he brings dogs for protection when he does business. 
The Chechen shows Scarecrow one of his clients, a young man tweaking out on drugs. Scarecrow responds that his product is his product, and that the Chechen can deal with it or go somewhere else. The Chechen's dogs start barking. We get a glimpse of the Batman cowl, and then another Batman-like figure. One of the figures pulls out a shotgun and starts firing at the Chechen. None of these people are Batman. They are frauds that have shown up at the scene. The dogs are let loose and start taking down the frauds. Even Scarecrow takes out one of the frauds by spraying him with his fear agent. The real Batmobile crashes into the garage from an adjacent rooftop. Inside, we see the control screen go from loiter to intimidate, and the Batmobile fires rockets past the criminals, wreaking havoc and causing a distraction. The real, actual Batman appears and disarms the frauds, fighting off dogs and criminals alike. He neutralizes most of the goons at the scene. Scarecrow tries to get away in his van. Batman jumps down through the center of the parking garage and stops him. We then transition to a scene where Gordon and Detective Ramirez are in the vault of the bank, going over the crime scene. Batman shows up. Gordon and Batman speak about the Joker. They also speak about the mob. In the conversation, we find out that Batman has devised a tracking system for marking the mob's money. The bank they are standing in is one of five banks known to be used by the mob, so Batman expresses an urgency to prosecute. Gordon responds that under the legal process, they would have to act against all the mob's banks at the same time. Gordon mentions the new district attorney, and Batman asks Gordon if he trusts him. Gordon does not say no. Batman disappears. We go to Bruce Wayne's high-rise, where Alfred is having trouble finding Bruce. Alfred goes to an underground hideout, which we presume exists because Wayne Manor was burned to the ground in the last movie. Bruce and Alfred speak a bit about the Batman frauds, and about the new district attorney, Harvey Dent, and it is mentioned that he is romantically involved with Rachel. Then we get a court scene where we get our first look at Harvey Dent, the district attorney who will eventually become Two-Face. He sits next to Rachel. He mentions his father's lucky coin. The case involves Carmine Falcone's mob. Since Falcone is locked away in Arkham Asylum, Dent and Rachel are trying to identify the new head of the crime family. We get a glimpse of Sal Maroney, who is accused of being the new head of the Falcone mob. A mafia witness is on the stand and pulls a gun on Dent, who disarms him. Gordon speaks with Dent 1. Harvey Dent walks down to his office and meets with Lieutenant Gordon. Dent muses that marked bills are quite high-tech for the city police, and alludes to the fact that Gordon is close to Batman. Harvey insists on meeting Batman, but Gordon gives the official statement that Batman is to be arrested on sight, indicating to Dent that it is best that Gordon keep that relationship all to himself. Gordon wants Harvey to grant search warrants for the five banks known to have mob money. In their conversation, they mention that Dent worked his way up through internal affairs, where he investigated a lot of the cops that now work for Gordon. Although Gordon tries to encourage Dent by calling him Gotham's White Knight, Dent acknowledges that people call him another name, which is Two-Face, but is not spoken here. This scene is important because it shows that Gordon wants to work with Harvey Dent because Dent is well-liked by the public. Then we go to a boardroom scene at Wayne Enterprises and are introduced to the character of Lau. Lau's company, named LSI Holdings, and Wayne Enterprises are beginning some sort of joint venture, and Lucius Fox thinks something isn't right about it. Bruce agrees and secretly admits the deal is all but cancelled. He just wanted a closer look at their finances. 
The next scene is at a restaurant where Rachel and Harvey are having dinner. They run into Bruce and a ballerina from the Gotham City Ballet. The group sits together and discusses the state of the city. This is where we get the classic thematic line of the film, when Harvey says, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Bruce, who has been on the fence about Dent up until now, seems to want to support him and declares he will throw Dent a lucrative fundraiser. This is similar to the Lieutenant Gordon situation where Gordon wants to trust Dent so badly that he just goes ahead and supports him. The next scene is a meeting with all the city's crime bosses in attendance. This is where we get the first real dose of Heath Ledger's Joker. We see a video message from Lau. He explains $68 million was stolen in the heist. Then the scene cuts back and forth between Lau and Gotham PD, raiding a bank and finding the empty vault. Lau mentions with some logic that since the money was to be seized anyway, he had already taken it. In the bank vault, only the stacks of marked bills are left over signifying the end of the money tracking. We see Lau is in fact flying on a plane, and Lau mentions he is taking the money to Hong Kong. The Joker enters. We get the classic disappearing pencil bit, with the Joker killing one of the henchmen by shoving his face through a pencil on the table. This moment is funny and freaky and an audience pleaser, but it is also done to show that the Joker is physically strong and can hold his own in hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is important because the Joker will engage in plenty of fighting in this film, so it must be established that he is not soft. He's broad-shouldered, he is unpredictable, and he is in your face. The Joker taunts the crime bosses by mentioning that one year ago, the police were afraid of all of them. He also mentions Lao will fail them. Joker proposes killing the Batman and demands half of the criminal's money. He leaves by threatening to blow the scene up with grenades. At Gotham PD, Harvey Dent puts the bat signal to the sky all by himself and summons Batman to the GCPD rooftop. Gordon shows up and is upset that Lau has taken the money and left for Hong Kong. Gordon tells the group the marked bills were left behind and blames Dent. Dent throws the blame back to Gordon that Gordon is the one who has crooked cops working under him. Gordon accuses Dent of having mob agents in his office. During this conversation, the camera is revolving 360 degrees around the actors. This is my favorite shot of the film because you can see downtown Chicago, it feels very fluid, and you understand the motivations of each character. Batman says he'll get Lau and disappears. Bruce consults Lucius Fox, who hooks him up with new, lighter components for his bat suit. One of the new features includes blades that shoot out like some sort of ninja weapon. This will come into play at the climax of the movie. Bruce asks Fox for a quick getaway that involves leaving on a plane but not taking off from the ground. Fox mentions a CIA tactic codenamed Skyhook and says he'll work on it. Then we cut to a conversation between Bruce and Alfred. In order for Bruce Wayne to leave Gotham to go get Lau, an alibi must be made for the public. We cut to a scene with Rachel and Harvey trying to attend the ballet. According to the newspaper, Bruce has gone on vacation with the entire ballerina troupe. We then see Bruce, Alfred, and the ballerinas on a yacht with Bruce leaving the scene to go to Asia. The next scene is at the headquarters of Gamble, the African mafia boss of Gotham. The Joker's body is brought in, and Gamble is told that the Joker is dead. Gamble turns his back, 
the Joker pops up and puts a knife to Gamble's mouth. We get the classic dialogue of how Joker got his scars. This dialogue is potent and memorable and yet another signature moment for Heath Ledger's Joker. This same dialogue is also used in an episode of Batman the Animated Series. The Joker kills Gamble and forces three of his men into a death match to fill one position in his organization. The purpose of this scene is to show that the Joker is consolidating the crime factions of Gotham under his own leadership. We see Lao land in Hong Kong, seemingly thinking he is safe. Then we see Lucius Fox enter LSI headquarters and check in his cell phone at the security desk. Fox has a meeting with Lao where he rejects Lao's deal for a joint venture. Lao acts put off by the situation. Fox pulls out a second cell phone. When Fox leaves the building, he leaves the first cell phone at security and meets Bruce on the street outside. The cell phone left behind is equipped with sonar technology that will map the building. Late at night, with Lao still at the office, Batman sets up shop on a nearby rooftop with some pretty tactical gear. Using a pump gun device, he shoots some timed explosives onto Lau's office building. The first cell phone that Lucius left behind apparently has some pretty powerful functionality. It cuts out all power within the building. Everything goes dark. Batman jumps off the nearby rooftop and swoops over to Lau's building, crashing through the window. The following hand-to-hand -hand combat scene has the vibe of a James Bond espionage film. Batman grabs a hold of Lau. A cargo plane flies past the skyscraper, and Batman shoots a device into the sky, which is apparently the skyhook technology we heard about before. The cargo plane latches onto the skyhook, and Batman swoops away with Lau. Lau is delivered to Lieutenant Gordon at Gotham PD. With Lau caught, Rachel and Dent get Lau to admit that he handled all the mob's money. The police now have a RICO case against all the capos. Gordon goes to arrest Sal Maroney and the Chechen, a scene filmed at the Berghoff restaurant in Chicago. We get an arraignment scene with all the capos in attendance. The judge in this scene is shown picking up a random Joker card from the case file. In our rising action, the Joker runs amok, completely unchecked as he imposes his will on Gotham. In a scene with Anthony Garcia, the mayor of Gotham, Mayor Garcia tells Dent that since the mob has ties to all kinds of people in the city, he should be warned that many kinds of people, however unlikely, will now come after him. Just as Garcia says this, a mutilated body dressed in a Batman suit hits the window and appears to be hanging from the roof. The body is lowered down. What could this be? We get our answer in the next scene. Bruce and Alfred see the story about the body on the Gotham News. The news broadcasts video footage from the Joker where he demands that Batman reveal his identity and promises that people will die every day if he doesn't. The video footage is chilling. The victim in the video is one of the Batman frauds from the early meetup scene with Scarecrow. He is heard screaming for his life at the end of the video. This scene is important because, as we will see, the Joker will end up killing people every day. Our next action sequence is set at the fundraiser that Bruce is throwing for Harvey. Harvey arrives with Rachel, and everyone is decked out. Rachel speaks with Bruce, who asserts he believes in Harvey. He says Gotham needs a hero with a face, and that Harvey can be the hero of the city. The underlying meaning of this is that Bruce would like Rachel to wait for him to retire Batman so that they can be together. We sense Rachel's uneasiness. We cut away to a scene with Gordon and Detective Ramirez. 
the DNA of Harvey Dent and others were found on the body of this latest murder. This is a threat to those people's lives. What follows is a montage of two of the Joker's next victims, the judge from the arraignment scene and the police commissioner Loeb himself. The judge is killed in a car bomb explosion and the commissioner is poisoned right in front of Lieutenant Gordon while having a drink in his office. Right at this moment, back at the party, Dent proposes to Rachel, who says she has to think about it. Then, at that moment, Bruce grabs Dent and knocks him out. Bruce mentions people are coming for Dent. It's not explicitly seen, but we can assume Bruce got some sort of last-minute intruder warning. In the main party area, Joker and his goons enter the room from off the elevator. Bruce dips into a wall and presumably goes to change into the Batman suit. The Joker grabs Rachel and we get the second shot using the camera revolving 360 degrees around the actors. The Joker puts his knife to Rachel's face and we get a continuation of the Scars dialogue from the scene with Gamble. This time the dialogue focuses on the Joker's ex-wife. Apparently she was a degenerate gambler who was mutilated by the mob. Batman appears. We get the first meeting between Batman and the Joker. They engage in hand-to-hand combat. Other goons join in. Batman fights all of them. This feels like something straight out of the comics. Joker drops Rachel out the window. Batman leaps out after her and grabs onto her. The pair slide off the roof of the skyscraper and Batman uses the technology of his suit to break their fall. They land on a car, but survive. At Gotham PD, the police are worried that with judges and the commissioner getting murdered, no one will want to be a witness for their RICO case. Dent wants to transfer Lau so they can at least keep him alive long enough to get his testimony. We then cut to a short scene where Bruce and Alfred discuss Alfred's time in Burma from an earlier part of Alfred's life. Alfred describes the troublemakers he met in Burma and we get the classic line, some men just want to watch the world burn. Two more policemen are murdered, and at the crime scene there is a newspaper marked up with Joker symbolism on a page featuring Mayor Garcia. This is a threat to Mayor Garcia's life. Batman carves out a piece of wall that contains a bullet hole. He takes it to the underground lab for analysis. At Wayne Enterprises, an accounting consultant named Coleman Reese finds ties between Lucius and the Batmobile. He insinuates that Bruce is Batman and tries to blackmail Lucius and the company. He is unsuccessful. Back at the lab, Bruce is able to extract a fingerprint from the scene of the two policemen. Bruce matches the fingerprint to four possible suspects. At the time this is going on, we also have the memorial for the slain commissioner, Loeb. Everyone is on high alert because Mayor Garcia is in attendance. This whole sequence is filmed on location in Chicago, on LaSalle Street and Jackson Boulevard, right at the base of the Chicago Board of Trade building. This is the exact same stretch of street that we will see later when a semi-truck is flipped. Bruce drives from the underground lab to the police memorial via motorcycle to avoid being noticed. As the mayor is speaking, we see Gotham PD doing their best to survey the situation. Bruce parks his motorcycle and goes into an adjacent building with a bird's eye view of the mayor speaking. Unbeknownst to him, this is a setup. First, Bruce discovers a room with a bunch of cops tied up and blindfolded. The Joker has switched these real cops out for some fake ones somewhere. Bruce sees a telescope at the window and goes to it. The window shade is attached to a timer. Outside at the memorial, it's time for the rifle salute. We now know that the police doing the rifle salute are the placeholders swapped in by the Joker. 
Bruce's window springs open. The police think Bruce is making an assassination attempt. This distracts Gotham PD. The placeholder police train their rifles at the mayor. Gordon, who has been watching this unfold, jumps at the mayor at the last split second. In a tragic sequence, we see Gordon get shot. We also see one of the placeholder cops get taken down. Dent gets Rachel to safety and then goes to intimidate the injured placeholder cop. He sees the cop is wearing a name tag with Rachel's name on it, a threat to her life. Taking the situation into his own hands, Dent takes the placeholder cop hostage in a police van. Our characters start to fray. Gotham PD shows up to Gordon's residence to inform Gordon's wife of his death. She breaks into tears. Batman is there as well. This scene goes a long way to make the audience believe Gordon is dead. Under stress from all the recent murders, Batman also starts to resort to more ruthless tactics. We jump to a scene at a nightclub. Sal Maroney is chillin' on the mezzanine level. In another concise action sequence, Batman beats his way through henchmen in the darkness to Maroney. He drops Maroney off the fire escape and demands information on the Joker. Maroney suggests Batman just give up his identity. Batman seems stumped. We go back to Harvey, who has the placeholder cop tied up somewhere in an abandoned area of Gotham. Dent is on the phone with Rachel, and they agree she will go to Bruce's high-rise to be safe. Batman shows up and tells Dent that the placeholder cop is Thomas Schiff, an ex-mental patient from Arkham. He got this information from the fingerprint he extracted from the bullet in the cop killings. Batman reiterates to Dent that Dent is the hero that Gotham needs. Batman suggests that Dent stop these illegal tactics so that he can shine as the hero he is meant to be. Bruce tells Dent to call a press conference, presumably so Bruce can give up his identity, and Dent yells in protest as Batman walks away. Just as Bruce doesn't want Harvey to cross the rules, Harvey does not want Bruce to cross his own rules. It seems that our main characters are starting to fray under the stress of the ongoing war. Bruce goes back to his apartment, where Rachel is waiting. Rachel agrees with Dent's opinion that Bruce shouldn't give up Batman. We see that Bruce feels guilty. The Joker is killing people, and all Bruce has to do to stop it is to stop being Batman. Bruce brings up the fact that Rachel has always said that they could be together if Bruce gave up the cowl. She confirms once more that that is true, and they kiss. Later, at the underground lab, Alfred and Bruce seem to be shutting down the whole operation, clearing out the room and burning any documents that would show ties to anyone in Bruce's life. Alfred, like the other main characters, voices his disapproval of Bruce turning himself in. Alfred, who has a way of making fun of Bruce in these movies, is in this scene very adamant and very serious about his support of Batman. Dent holds the press conference. The press and Gothamites in attendance voice a very realistic opinion that it is absurd for the police to protect the rights of a vigilante like Batman when innocent people are dying. In a surprise move, and in a show of support to Bruce so that Bruce can keep his secret, Dent proclaims he is the Batman and asks to be arrested. The whole room gasps. Back at the high-rise, Rachel gives Alfred a note to give to Bruce. Then, Rachel goes to help Dent, who will be taken to jail by an armored motorcade. Dent kisses her. As the armored motorcade starts, we cut to a scene where a policeman tries to advise a truck driver to move, but the Joker appears and shoots him. It looks like the Joker is about to make a move. Thank mm -hmm. you.
the motorcade to move Dent begins. A fire truck has exploded on the street and the burning vehicle is impeding the route. The police divert to a street called Lower Fifth, portrayed by Chicago's world-famous Lower Wacker Drive. Right away, a garbage truck slams into the first police car, knocking it into the wall. The garbage truck then goes after the armored truck carrying Dent. Then a semi-truck appears and knocks one of the armored SWAT trucks into the Chicago River. This was shot on location and looks pretty dope. The semi-truck pulls alongside the caravan, the side door opens, and we get the best shootout of the movie as the Joker starts shooting, first with a machine gun and then a bazooka. The Joker uses the bazooka to take out the lead cop car. Batman shows up in the Batmobile going opposite the way of traffic. He neutralizes the garbage truck. He turns the Batmobile back around and blocks the next shot of Joker's bazooka, saving Harvey. The Batmobile does some great tricks in this scene, and if you haven't watched this movie in a while, this is probably the best action sequence to revisit. The Batmobile, however, gets smashed up after this last sequence and is immobilized. Joker takes over driving the semi-truck and goes after Harvey. They exit from Lower Fifth. We then get the appearance of the audience favorite gadget of the movie as the Batpod splits away and emerges from the Batmobile. Gotham PD deploys a helicopter to the sky. Joker, however, is ready for the helicopter and has henchmen on the nearby fire escapes. They shoot cable wires at the helicopter and cause it to crash. Batman furiously races towards the scene, blasting away cars and shooting his way through doors as he does so. On the Batpod, he makes a trip through Randolph Street Metro Station, a heavily used underground transportation hub in Chicago. Batman appears from the alley with the Batpod, and we get the nighttime face-off on LaSalle Street. Batman and the Joker drive at each other. Batman shoots a cable from the Batpod and ensnarls the wheels of the Joker's truck. In preparation for this scene, studies were performed to ensure there would be no significant structural damage to the street, and a real semi-truck was flipped over on LaSalle Street. The Joker and his goons emerge stunned from the truck, and Batman drives the Batpod at them. Joker shoots at Batman with his machine gun. Batman wants to run Joker over, but he knows he really shouldn't be breaking any more laws. At the last second, Batman swerves away. He falls off the Batpod. Joker stands over Batman and mocks him. Someone, presumably a police officer, appears and detains Joker we find that it is Lieutenant Gordon. We realize that by faking Gordon's death, Joker could move on with his plan to get Dent, giving GCPD a chance to capture Joker. Gordon also tells Mayor Garcia that he faked his death so that no one would use his family for leverage. Dent is saved and is escorted away. Mayor Garcia promotes Gordon to commissioner. As Gordon arrives home to greet his wife and kids, we cut back to GCPD, where one of the Joker's henchmen is having problems in his holding cell, complaining of severe stomach pains. Gordon goes back downtown to interrogate the Joker. It turns out that Dent was escorted away by policemen on Sal Maroney's payroll. Gordon can't get the Joker to talk, so he leaves. It is revealed that Batman is in the interrogation room. Batman and the Joker talk. We get some foreshadowing when the Joker tells Batman that he will show him these civilized people will only eat each other like primitives when the chips are down. Joker reveals that Dent and Rachel are in two separate locations and wired to explosives that will go off at the exact same moment. Batman has to choose one. Batman loses control of his emotions, barricades the door with a chair, and begins to beat Joker. 
In this altercation, Joker's head is smashed into one of the windows and glass is broken. This is significant because it will help the Joker escape later. Joker gives Batman two addresses, one for Rachel and one for Dent. Of course, since he loves her, Batman goes to save Rachel. Gordon and GCPD go to save Dent. While trying to escape on his own, Dent falls on one side, drenching half of his face in flammable chemicals. Over radio communication, Rachel tells Harvey that she will in fact marry him and wants to be with him. Back at GCPD, Joker is left guarded by a sole policeman. The Joker begins talking with him and gets into his head, causing the policeman to break down and start beating the Joker. Outside, in the holding cell, the police begin inspecting the man with the stomach cramps and find something strange in his body. The Joker emerges with the policeman from the interrogation room. The Joker has a shard of glass from his scuttle with Batman. The Joker demands his phone call. He calls a number and the man with the stomach cramps explodes. Batman races to the address in the Batpod and finds not Rachel, but Dent. Joker had switched the addresses. Batman helps Dent escape. Rachel is blown up and dies. Dent's face burns on one side, and later we see that his father's lucky coin has also burnt on one side. Then we got a montage where we see Alfred opening Rachel's note to Bruce to read it. At the scene of the explosion, we see Batman brooding in the smoldering flames in a shot that pays tribute to the comics. In the note, Rachel says she will be marrying Harvey and that she isn't sure whether Bruce himself will outgrow Batman, but if he does, she will support him in friendship only. Alfred is about to give the note to Bruce, who is brooding at the high-rise window. Since the last interaction between Bruce and Rachel involved a kiss, Bruce reiterates that Rachel was planning to wait for Bruce to give up the cowl. Bruce is still under the impression that Rachel wouldn't have married Harvey, when in fact her dying words were that she would. Seeing how upset Bruce is, Alfred hides the letter. The accounting consultant from Wayne Enterprises, a man named Coleman Reese, is planning to go live with Batman's true identity that evening. Gordon speaks with Dent, too. Gordon goes to see Dent in the hospital. Dent has neglected to take any skin grafts. We get the second meeting between the two, but their comparative situations play out as an opposite image from the first meeting. Whereas Dent was in the limelight the first time around as Gotham's flashy new DA, Gordon has the high ground here, having been appointed commissioner. This contrast completes two halves of the whole in the relationship between Dent and Gordon. On the way out of the hospital, Gordon sees Sal Maroney, who gives him the location of the Joker. We cut to a scene on a ship where the Joker has Lau tied up with a pile of cash. Joker burns the cash, goes on a rant about how everything burns, and kills Lau and the Chechen. During the news broadcast for Coleman Reese, the Joker calls in and says live on air that if Coleman Reese is not dead in an hour, he will blow up a hospital. Gotham PD begins evacuating all hospitals in the city. Gordon and a team of police attempt to move Coleman Reese away from the television station. A regular Gotham citizen pulls out a gun and shoots at Reese, presumably because they might know someone in the hospital. In Dent's hospital, Gotham General, Joker appears dressed as a nurse. The Joker and Harvey have a discussion about fate. Joker makes a very compelling argument that when gang members die or soldiers die, no one panics. But when the mayor's life is threatened, everyone panics. Dent listens intently and the two bond. 
Alfred texts Gordon the names of some policemen who may have family in local hospitals. It turns out Gordon is riding with one of them. At an intersection filmed on Chicago's Lake Street, a mob henchman is ready to ram Reese's car with a pickup truck. Bruce drives his Lamborghini between the truck and Reese's car, saving him in a similar fashion that the Batmobile took the impact of Joker's bazooka on Lower Fifth Street. This is another example of duality. As Reese gets out of the car, Bruce shoots him a look as if to say he'd appreciate his cooperation. Reese does look thankful to be alive. The Joker blows up the hospital, Gotham General. Gordon confirms that it was evacuated. However, Harvey Dent and a busload of 50 people are missing from the hospital. This will come into play later. The National Guard is called into Gotham. One thing interesting about this scene is that the Chicago Transportation Authority logo on the city bus has been modified to represent Gotham, just as the license plates in this movie are fashioned after real Illinois license plates. The news then broadcasts a message from another hostage. This time, it's a news anchor from the TV show Gotham Tonight, wearing Joker-like lipstick and reading from a script. According to the script, the Joker will have complete control over the city starting at night, and this causes the citizens of Gotham to go into a frenzy. Batman breaks into the R&D division of Wayne Enterprises and shows Lucius that he has taken his sonar technology to the next level, tapping into every citizen's cell phone in Gotham and using it to listen in on the entire city. Lucius rightfully claims that this is an invasion of privacy. Sympathizing with Batman's need to get Joker, Lucius agrees to help on this mission, but only for this one time. Gordon meets with Mayor Garcia. Gordon admits that because of the Joker's threats, he can't trust the bridges and tunnels out of the city. He admits that no one can find Dent, and the mayor asks Gordon to keep that a secret. Regular citizens are being taken out of the city on ferries. A group of prisoners from Gotham's island prison are also being put on a ferry. Dent is bloodthirsty and wants vengeance from anyone that was involved with Rachel's death. He kills one henchman and approaches Moroni, trying to find out the truth. Moroni tells Dent that the person to pick up Rachel was Detective Ramirez. Two ferries, one filled with innocents, the Liberty, and one filled with prisoners, the Spirit, leave the dock portrayed by Chicago's Navy Pier on Lake Michigan. The crew of the Spirit discovers barrels full of explosive chemicals on the ship. They also discover a detonator device. The Joker begins speaking over the PA system. He tells the citizens that each ship's detonator will blow up the other ship, leaving the innocents and the prisoners in a very intense ethical dilemma. This is the true climax of the film. The theme of duality is present in this paradox, and it is also the most unpredictable conflict of the film. It is an unexpected turn of events. The innocents on the Liberty argue amongst each other about what to do and decide to take a vote. Batman speaks with Lucius, who is able to locate the Joker with the sonar technology. The Joker is in a nearby skyscraper portrayed in the film by Trump Tower, which was near completion but still under construction at the time of filming. Batman takes the Batpod to the Joker's location. Ramirez calls Gordon's wife. We see that Ramirez is being held at gunpoint by Two-Face. It is revealed that the mob had leverage over Ramirez because of her mother's hospital bills. Ramirez convinces Gordon's wife to go to Dent's location, the same building where Rachel was murdered. Dent strikes Ramirez, but spares her life. 
The missing bus from the hospital earlier has now turned up, and the Joker's goons are holding the bus passengers hostage in the skyscraper portrayed by Trump Tower. The hostages appear to be tied up, and the Joker's goons appear to be wearing their signature clown masks. Gotham PD prepares to move in. They plan to shoot the Joker's henchmen with snipers. Batman warns Gordon that there must be a trick and demands five minutes to figure things out. Before Gordon can respond, Batman jumps off the rooftop where the police are based and swoops over to the building with the hostages. Batman speaks with Lucius, who tells him there is a SWAT team approaching from up the stairwell and another SWAT team coming down from the roof. Gordon gets a panicked call from his wife. She and the kids have been captured by Two-Face. Batman notices something funny about the clowns and tears the mask off of one of them. It turns out the hostages are the ones dressed as clowns, and the doctors in the building are the actual henchmen. Since Gotham PD is already moving in, this puts Batman in a position where he has to fight off the cops. We get some of the most potent hand-to-hand combat sequences of the movie as Batman engages with the cops using non-lethal force. Finally, Batman arrives where the Joker is. The Joker has acquired the Chechen's dogs and sicks them on Batman. Joker jumps on top of Batman and starts beating him with a metal pole. On the other floors, Gotham PD have figured out who's who and start taking out the Joker's real henchmen. While this is going on, we see that the vote held by the innocent people on the Liberty has been made. Overwhelmingly, people have voted to blow up the boat with the prisoners. However, it is noted that their boat has not yet been blown up. Neither boat uses the detonator. Joker pins Batman under a metal railing and is ready to celebrate the explosion. No explosion occurs. Batman explains that the citizens of Gotham are not as evil as the Joker. He then shoots the ninja blades from out of his suit that we saw in an earlier scene and throws the Joker off the building. Instead of letting the Joker die, Batman shoots a grappling hook gun at Joker and saves him. The two have a conversation with Joker hanging upside down and Batman standing up, which, going along with such parallels as Two-Face's coin and Two-Face's face, conveys the theme of duality. This is the last conversation between Batman and the Joker, and Ledger's final scene in the movie. Gordon goes to Dent's location. Dent is completely psychotic at this point and is about to kill Gordon's son. Batman shows up, and he, Dent, and Gordon have a philosophical shouting match about what's right versus what's fair. Dent shoots Batman and is about to flip his coin to decide the fate of Gordon's son when Batman leaps out of the shadows and knocks Dent off the ledge, saving Gordon's son. Batman actually suffers the same fall as Dent, but a few stray wooden beams break his fall. In our falling action, Gordon claims that the Joker won since he was able to take the hero of the law, Harvey Dent, and turn him into an agent of evil. Batman suggests that they keep all of Dent's wrongdoings, the kidnapping, the shootings, secret, so that his name can live on in a respectable way. Batman tells Gordon to blame all the murders on him, essentially sacrificing all accountability that Batman may have had with the public. In the next scene, we see Commissioner Gordon speaking at yet another memorial, this one for Dent. The bat signal on the rooftop is destroyed. Alfred burns Rachel's letter to Bruce before Bruce can ever read it. At the R&D department, Lucius destroys the cell phone technology. In the final sequence, we see that Gordon has agreed to make Batman the bad guy, and Batman runs from the police. 
Gordon explains to his son that Batman is a hero, but that they have to chase him. He reassures his son that Batman is a guardian and a protector, and the film ends with Gordon calling Batman the Dark Knight as we get a shot of the Batpod from behind, emerging from Lower Wacker. The Dark Knight is a film about duality. The Two-Face character is used as a symbol to show that people can often be caught on multiple sides of a situation. Batman also finds himself as both the hero and the villain. This film is constructed in layers. There are overarching themes to the story, as well as intricate details woven into the plot that exist as symbolism. Like any well-written movie, the plot is so intricate you can always go back into the storyline and analyze the details and the connections they have to each other. The Dark Knight is one of the greatest films to be shot in Chicago, and put quite simply, is one of the all-time great movies.